Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now on Food FM, you're listening to Bread and Butter with Caroline Kenyon. Caroline and her guests make sense of the world through food, from politics to farming, making and cooking. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Hello, I'm Caroline Kenyon and it's my enormous pleasure to welcome you to Bread and Butter. And today we have the most fascinating guest. We have Mark Sisson, all the way from the uh, lovely climbs of Miami Beach, where he's told me the weather is absolutely glorious and that's why he lives there. Now, Mark will be known to many of our listeners as an inspirational figure in the world of nutrition, diet, exercise, and might I say well-being. Welcome, Mark. Lovely to have you with us. It's so great to be here, Caroline. Thanks for having me. And the reason why we've got you on today, Mark, is because you've produced your 12th book, you tell us, and uh, it's <laughs> two meals a day. Now, this is really, really on trend, isn't it? This is the kind of you know intermittent fasting thing. Just give us a little bit of a background, Mark, about how you felt that you needed to share this kind of thinking with the world. Well, it's interesting because my whole life, uh, I've been interested in, in human performance. I was an athlete when I was younger, I was an endurance athlete. So I was always looking at ways to improve energy, uh, to improve my race time times. And uh, as as both a marathoner and eventually as a, as a triathlete, uh, when I had to retire from competition because of overtraining and because I realized later on that my diet was, was not doing me any favors, it was a highly inflammatory diet. I started delving into what it is that makes not just athletes perform better, uh, and at a high level, but what it, what is it that allows anyone who wants to achieve better health, who wants to look, feel, and perform better, what sorts of uh, behaviors, I mean largely by that I mean food, because sleep is important and your choice of exercise is important and how much time you spend uh, de-stressing, all of these things are important. But diet, in my estimation, turns out to be like the keystone. It's really, if you if you get the diet right, you are headed down this amazing path toward a stronger, leaner, fitter, happier, healthier, more productive body. So I really started to dig into the science of what it is that causes our genes to express themselves and, and turn on to make us either stronger, uh, leaner, uh, have more energy, not get sick as often, or uh, in the contrary, if we do the wrong things, to make us gain weight, to add fat to our bodies, uh, to cause inflammation and pain, to suppress our immune systems. All of these are sort of genetic switches that we have, and we all share them. Uh, and these switches are turned on and off in large part due to the behaviors and in large part due to the foods that we choose to consume and when we choose to consume them. So I started to go down this path of real food being kind of the, the key. I looked at uh, evolutionary biology and what was it in our evolution as a species that that crafted this genetic recipe that we all have that wants us to be strong, lean, fit, happy, healthy, and productive. Um, what are the behaviors that we shared uh, in common over the 
millennia, over the millions of years, that we were forging this recipe, this genetic recipe. And it turns out <laughs> real food is a thing. Real food, you know, plants and animals, not processed crap, not industrial seed oils, not high fructose corn syrup, but but real uh, plants, real vegetables, real fruits, uh, real sources of animal protein, meat, fish, fowl, eggs. Uh, these were the the inputs that allow people to to achieve this sort of ideal and optimized health that everyone's looking for. As I got deeper and deeper into this, my first book was called The Primal Blueprint, and it sort of elucidated it. It, it, it talked about a lot about the types of food and why our bodies re respond to these more natural type foods better than, say, processed foods. It talked about sleep and, and um, sun exposure and a lot of other uh, aspects of health. But it, at the time, uh, it was a little bit revolutionary and, and, you know, because we talked about the risk factors for some of the diseases of civilization, like, uh, like, uh, diabetes and heart disease and cancer and things like that and autoimmune diseases, all of which could probably find their, their etiology in, in some manipulation of the diet. So the book took off. The book was very popular and a lot of people, millions of people, you know, undertook this way of eating this strategy. And as I was going through the years and looking at the next, the next book, I started to look at what, well, what's the next level beyond this paleo diet that I was describing? Maybe it's something like the ketogenic diet, which, which looks at ways in which we can optimize our metabolism even further. We, and I, I came up with a, a concept called metabolic flexibility. And it turned out that metabolic flexibility was what really described what we're all after. We all want to be able to burn fat, uh, our own body fat, as an energy source, not to store it, but to actually burn it. Uh, and utilize it when we're not eating. And we all want to maybe get a hold of our, our appetite and our cravings. And, um, and because that, that seems to be what thwarts most people's efforts at trying to achieve better health. You know, appetite kind of and, and hunger and cravings kind of derail everything. So I looked at the ketogenic diet as a way of, of uh, maybe achieving a more optimal metabolism. And that book was called The Keto Reset Diet. So then a couple of years later, I'm like, okay, really, what, what am I really trying to say here? What's, what, is the, what is the ultimate expression of, of all the things that I've been working at? And it turns out that really the big issue is people eat too much food. It's just that simple. We in, in America, I'm, I'm appalled to see that the average American consumed about 3,600 calories a day. Goodness. I'm a very active I'm a very active person and I'm hard pressed to exceed 23 or 2400 calories if I were to count them, which I don't. Uh, so I, I started thinking, well, you know, in most cases around the world, especially in, um, in developed nations where there's basically unlimited access to food, much of which is uh, problematic because it's highly processed and full of sugar and full of industrial seed oils, that this is, that, that it's human nature would have us attempt to see how much we can get away with. So most people will look at a meal and go, what's the, what's the most amount of this food I can eat and not gain weight? What's the most amount of this meal I can consume and not feel like a glutton? What's the biggest piece of this cheesecake that I can have uh, and not be uncomfortable? So people tend to look at it from the, that extreme of what's like, what can I get away with? And many people can get away with a fair amount of uh, with with some leeway on 
excessive calories. A lot of people eat a lot of calories and don't don't show it as uh, obvious stored body fat, but many many people will show it as stored body fat. So what I did was I I just thought, well look, what's the opposite of that? What's a, what's a thought experiment that might really shift people's way of thinking about food? And it came down to this. What's the least amount of food I can eat and maintain muscle mass or build muscle mass to have all the energy I need uh, to sleep well, to not get sick, and most importantly, to not be hungry? Because as I said, hunger derails everything. So if you, so if you look at this problem, if you will, what's the least amount of food I can eat with, with a caveat that you can't allow yourself to go hungry, um, you start to pull back on, on not just maybe the size of meals, but then you realize pretty quickly that three meals a day or three meals and two snacks is way too much food for most people. So the book, Two Meals a Day, started to look at how do I optimize my metabolic flexibility? How do I become good at burning off my own stored body fat? How do I become good at recognizing when I've had enough to eat at a meal and I'm, and I'm perfectly happy and content and can stop and can push the plate away or box it up for, for consumption later on. How do we develop that sort of skill? So that's the essence of two meals a day. It's basically taking a look at, the, at this notion that all of the good things that happen in the human body, for the most part, happen when we're not eating. So how can I extend that amount of time out to 16 or 18 hours in every 24-hour day, how can I go 16 or 18 hours without eating, without feeling compelled to eat, without needing to eat, without wanting to eat, and in so doing, optimize my body's fat burning, optimize my body's immune system, and optimize my body's natural built-in repair mechanism, which, by the way, only happens when we're not eating. So as we, as we drill down deeper and deeper as we develop this metabolic flexibility, which allows us to extract energy all day long from whatever substrate is available, whether it's the fat stored on our body, the fat on our plate of food, the carbohydrates on our plate of food, the glucose in our bloodstream, the glycogen in our muscles, the ketones that our liver makes. Um, when we become metabolically flexible, this nagging hunger that tends to drive most people crazy because they're eating every two or three hours all day long. This nagging hunger dissipates and then disappears. And it's an amazing, powerful, wonderful um, sensation to finally have control over that aspect of your life that you don't feel compelled to eat and that you feel kind of energetic all the time and invincible. And you're, you're moving around all day long, pretty much on your own stored body fat when you're not consuming a meal. I think I'll stop there and let you ask a question if you have one. <laughs> well, and no, I found that completely gripping, Mark. Absolutely fascinating. And I'll just explain to you sort of partly why is because my own personal uh, sort of nutritional or diet stories that I, I had health issues in my, my 20s. I had ME, chronic fatigue syndrome, and, and then digestive issues as a result. And it, I had to manage my diet very carefully for many years and but not really understanding enough i i'm one of these people who says oh you know i i don't do science i'm an arts person you know I, it's, you know biology and all this sort of thing is not something that that i get but my husband uh, grew up in the uh, the church of england and he always gives up something for lent 
And he says, you know, if it's if it, if it doesn't hurt, then, you know, it's not the right thing. So <laughs> he usually gives up something like cheese or, you know, alcohol or something. He's not a big drinker, but, you know, something that he enjoys. And so uh, one year I thought, well, I'll give up sweet things. I'll get, you know, I wasn't a massive chocolate or biscuit eater, but I just gave up sugar, except I did retain the Friday night glass of wine. And I felt horrendous for two weeks absolutely horrendous. And then I started to feel so well and I felt so energized. At the end of the the six-week Lenten period, I thought, you know, I'm not going to go back. And then the next thing that happened was that during the first lockdown in 2020, I was um, caring for my mother in London and she lived in a three-story house and it was so full on and intense all day. I was running up and down stairs cooking for her, thinking really carefully about nutrition, but also working and running a business in this very scary world of the pandemic that we all remember. And I ended up only having time for two meals a day. I wouldn't have breakfast until lunchtime. And then my mother and my brother and I would have supper together in the evening. And I felt amazing. And at the same time, I also started running because I was so stressed. I had to, you know, do something with, you know, mentally. And I bought a pair of running shoes a couple of years before, and I'd taken them with me to London. So I thought, I'm going to start using them. So without really knowing what I was doing, I suppose I was embracing your ethos, Mark. And I find that amazing that that I kind of, I found my way towards it, and I've never looked back. That's fantastic. And that's that's exactly the application that we're looking at. If you if you look at what happened sort of intuitively or or, or maybe even by by default, uh, based on the lifestyle that you were engaged in during COVID, you did a number of the right things, which included, by the way, some form of activity. Because it, you know, while I will tell anybody that exercise is is a terrible way to try to lose weight, it's certainly something we all need to do because it certainly it tones you up and it also will it'll help shore up your energy distribution, if you will, um, as a fat burning machine, as a fat burning beast, as we like to say, you know, you, you want to, um, you want to do the exercise, but you can't rely on the exercise as a weight loss mechanism. It's probably better off as a stress release mechanism and uh, for toning and for developing, um, you know, strongly muscles, a range of motion. We need to exercise, but we ought not to be counting the calories. But anyway, your, your story is a great one. And, um, and you hit upon, by accident, this notion that you don't need breakfast, like the fact that most of, at least in the U.S., we've been told for decades that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Well, if you wake up in the morning and you're already firing on all cylinders and you're already burning your own stored body fat and you're ready to hit the, the ground running, why why would you, if you're not even hungry, why would you stop and, and you know, stoke the fire with pancakes or biscuits or cereal or whatever glop? that they're promoting right now as as important in the first meal of the day. So breakfast winds up being, the traditional early morning breakfast winds up being probably the least important meal of the day if you are metabolically flexible. So it's a great, I, I love hearing that story and I love hearing the fact that you came to it somewhat intuitively. Most people are so driven by the narrative, so driven by this ongoing uh, marketing assault from the food companies that... <clears throat> again, suggests that you need to buy this product because it contains uh, healthy grains that are supposed to reduce your risk of heart disease. Sorry, that's BS. That's, in fact, quite quite the opposite of what it is. And I don't even know how certain companies in the U.S. get allowed get, get away 
with making that sort of a, a statement. Because one of the things that I did as a uh, early adopter of the primal paleo diet was I got rid of grains entirely. I found that grains in particular wheat was uh, the most processed and most problematic food for me. I had irritable bowel syndrome uh, 35 years uh, and I did not know how to address it. I thought it was stress. I thought it was a number of other things. And when I finally gave up grains, my that IBS went away. I had mild arthritis. That went away when I gave up grains. So I really started to see the power of, of food choices uh, and and the power of eliminating certain types of foods from your diet. So that was that was the in the early days of the Primal Blueprint, it was more of an elimination program, an elimination diet to figure out what foods worked. And then later on, as I, as I got more into the details of metabolic flexibility, I realized that meal timing uh, and this, this sort of modified eating window, uh, people talk about intermittent fasting, but I'd rather, I'd rather call it intermittent eating because fasting to me is, you know, 36 hours, 48 hours, something like that. Um, I don't think of it as fasting on my daily routine when I, you know, my first meal of the day is usually around 1.30 or 2 p.m. Other than that, I don't, you know, I don't have anything to eat. I have a cup of coffee in the morning. That's about it. But yeah, I, and I'm, I'm amazed again at the, uh, by the elimination of one meal a day down from three down to two, um, I've eliminated calories and those calories were not important to me. Apparently I maintain the same muscle mass, the same strength, the same body weight, the same energy, uh, on, on fewer calories. Hence this idea that we, we literally should try to, all of us, seek to find the least amount of food that we can eat and still be as healthy as possible and not let hunger drive us. Mark, I find it, it's, it's so fascinating and exciting to hear you speak because you're so lucid and clear in the way that you explain it, but you're, you're really passionate. Now, you've, you've referenced the American food industry. So I, I think, sadly, the UK has gone down the American line very much in terms of processed food. And we have the same issues of obesity here. And Britain is now the fattest country in Europe. So we, you know, I recognize all these, all these issues uh, here on the other side of the pond. But in your, your passion and your evangelical wish to convey your beliefs and to encourage other people to, to live this healthy uplifting way of being i feel like you've got a number of i might call them enemies and one is the <laughs> processed food industry and the other and and then the kind of knock-on effect of course is that many people have almost got you might call it addicted to that kind of food so you're dealing with it's it's you're you're almost having to get them to go cold turkey and then also there's all the emotional stuff that goes with eating and you know again you know in the western world we're living you know, in, in, in a climate of extraordinary mental health issues. So I just wonder how, I've, I'm throwing quite a lot at you, but how you feel you can navigate these kind of icebergs in the waters so that you can get more and more people to, to understand and embrace your way of thinking. Well, you've certainly described um, a lot of what m many people, if not most people, deal with, the, the you know, these, these hurdles that um, each individual kind of, has to overcome in order to achieve what they say they want, which is to be strong, lean, fit, happy, healthy, and productive. But saying you want it and then executing or following through on it um, is a different thing entirely. Um, <clears throat> the, the idea that people are addicted uh, to certain 
things to certain types of food. Uh, I would take issue with that. And I would say that this is not a case of addiction. An addiction really, when people talk about that, in my mind, an addiction is something that if you don't get it, you, you have a physical reaction to it and you, you know, you, you suffer from not having um, put, put whatever substance that was into your body. I think what most people deal with is either habituation, which is they just, it's noon, it must be lunchtime every single day. Um, that's habituation. Uh, or it's a tremendous amount of access combined with lack of impulse control. So people have snacks and things stocked in their pantry, in their uh, cupboards, in their refrigerator. And, you know, the, it, the, it's right there. And the lack of impulse control, which seems to hit people quite often at 930 at night or 10 o'clock at night or whatever, that can get in the way of uh, otherwise, you know, achieving this metabolic flexibility that we talk about and this, this sort of state of, of um, empowerment over food. So in a lot of cases, I, I mean, look, I, I don't want anybody to think that I don't love food. I love food. I love to eat. I just know when to stop. And so I'm, I, I mean, I have seven cookbooks. Uh, I, I created an entire company based on sauces and dressings and toppings and things that you put on food to make it taste great. So I'm not some, you know, uh, monastic type person who's like, fighting myself all the time to not eat food. I just know when I'm hungry and when I'm not. I know when to stop eating and when I don't. And that's this that's this intuitive skill that I want to impart to the rest of the world. <clears throat> it's funny, my next door neighbor uh, is a woman, I've, I've known her for four years. And, you know, she's had these discussions with me on and on and over and over about exactly what we're talking about today. And she was, she's, you know, 40 pounds overweight. Um, and she doesn't care and she loves her life and whatever. Well, she went uh, to a spa with my wife about three months ago. And at that spa, they, they, uh, it was, they called it cleanse, but they were doing like 850 calories a day. And all of a sudden she sort of had a week where she was forced into this schedule, if you will, of eating. When she was, when she came home, she already, she, she lost like six pounds during the week. She has now dropped 27 pounds. I don't know what that is for you in stone, but it's a significant amount of weight. And she has never been more excited, more happy. And she comes to my house and she goes, Mark, I get it now. You know, before in the last couple of years, when we we're talking about this stuff and you gave me all this information. I'm like, oh, that's just Mark. That's just my neighbor next door. Now I get it. Now I'm into this. I love it now. And she's and it, everybody around her is, is acknowledging the fact that this woman who they've known for years and years and years, now she looks fantastic. She she glows. She has all this energy, and she's she she comes to me and she says, "I'm I'm like I'm only eating twelve hundred and fifty calories a day, and I feel full. Is that wrong? Am I it, You know, am I doing it wrong? I'm like, no, you're doing exactly right because your body is still burning off your stored body fat, and as long as you're not hungry, that's the key. As long as you're not hungry, keep you know keep experimenting with this lower amount of food and. By the way, I make sure that she gets like, you know, 100 grams of protein a day because that's key. But these are some some of the nuances we talk about in the book, like how to make this work in a way that is healthful for your body uh, and, and you know, make sure that you're uh, satiated at every meal and and then burning off fat and having the energy in between meals. But it was it's amazing. And it's, uh, it's always so gratifying to see somebody close to me who 
you know, who kind of like has listened to me, you know, wah, 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 over the last three years. That's what they've heard. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, Mark, you nailed it. This like I can't believe I didn't do this before. So I love I love hearing that. That's so wonderful. What a lovely, uplifting story. But I guess that for her, she had to be ready and open to it. Yeah, if so your wife your, had invited her to the spa three years ago, she might have said no, or you know that she was in in some way there was something in her that was wanting to change. Well, you, you know that's a that's a great point because most people don't want to change until the doctor says you keep doing this and you're going to die, right? So people, this this goes back to my original kind of proposal here that people do what they can get away with. They they do it as long as they can get away with it. Um, because it's hedonistic. We live in a very hedonistic society. It's comfortable. Uh, people don't want to do the work. I mean, there's a whole industry right now called biohacking, and and it consists of people looking, in my mind, people looking for shortcuts because they don't want to do the work. You know, they want a pill or they want an electrical device that will do all the work for them versus understanding how the body works and appreciating that if you do this the right way, if you do the work, and the, and the work doesn't have to be hard work, it's just putting the time in and having the discipline for a period of time. If you do the work, then all of a sudden the body settles into this amazing, new, energized uh, state where as long as you keep your guardrails on, as long as you understand that you can't go out and have two pints of ice cream three nights in a row, or you know you can't you know be, be consuming tons of food just because it's the holidays, um, if you start to understand that and and get a handle on it, it becomes intuitive. So you don't really have to go, oh, my God, what would Mark say? Like, what, what, like in this situation, confronted with this food, what would Mark do? No, it just becomes intuitive to you. And by the way, if you decide you're going to let the wheels fall off today and have a couple of extra bites of that dessert or whatever, go for it. You know, I'm, it, it, just pick up where you left off the next day. I certainly... You know, I'll have pizza once in a while. I will have uh, ice cream once in a while. I'll have, um, you know, any of the, my former favorite foods that are no longer a, a main part of my diet. I'll have them once in a while, but just not a lot, right? I just, I love to enjoy the experience and I don't want to feel guilty or beat myself up in the event that somehow one meal or one day, you know, I go off the rails. That's That's what this is not about. This is... Look, Caroline, at the end of the day, we are here to enjoy life, to get the most out of every moment we can. And that includes enjoying food. So I want every bite of food I eat to taste fantastic. If you put a kale salad in front of me with some lemon squeezed dressing or something like that, and you tell me this is, Mark, this is the healthiest thing you can eat, I'm going to turn it down and go, I don't want it. (laughs) If it doesn't taste fabulous, I don't want it. So, so all the meals I eat um, are my favorite foods, right? But my favorite foods happen to be beef and pork and lamb and, and you know, the occasional uh, uh, vegetables. And I like fruit. Fruit is certainly allowed on, on this type of a program. Cheese. I love cheese. Uh, so these are all foods that if you look at, if you, if you only look at this from the glass half empty kind of perspective and say, oh, look at all the things I cannot eat, you'll fail. But if in, in, on the other hand, you look at all the things you can eat and, and derive tremendous pleasure from them and then know when to put the fork down or when to put the 
the spoon down because A, you're full, and B, you know you can always eat again because there's no problem with, with access. That's that's this empowerment. Well, that's just such a lovely kind of warm and humane note, I think, for us to end our conversation on, Mark. I love the fact that you're you're not finger wagging, you're not telling people how they should live in a sort of, you know, virtuous and critical way. I think you you have a, a lovely sort of, yeah, a, a warmth and a, an accepting of human nature in your approach. And I think that's really special. Thank you so much. Well, that's, it's my pleasure. And, and I would just say to that, you know, it, it's, it's exactly right. I'm not have proselytizing. I just have some information that if you want to hear it, I am very happy to tell you about my secrets, right? And, and that's, that's kind of how I've lived my life. Mark, thank you so much and wishing you all the best. Likewise. Thanks, Caroline. You're listening to Bread and Butter with Caroline Kenyon. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.